This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. I'm excited to teach the scripture to you today, but I want to echo something you heard in the video announcements. This afternoon, it's our CIL forward at 4.30 p.m. I went into a little bit of a panic mode early this morning because as I was getting ready to leave the house, uh, the news was on and on Channel 4 News, I think it was, uh, they were talking about the Titans game and they said, and kickoff today is at 3 p.m. Now, I know none of you would miss an important church meeting for the Titans game, right? That's not who you are, but there are some who may do that. And I went to panic mode and then I checked other media outlets and the game is at noon. So that gives you plenty of time to see a Titans win and then come on up for our 4.30 meeting. We'll have childcare through age three. And then you can stay on over for the 242 group that happens after that. If you choose, you don't have to. And by coming to that meeting, that doesn't mean you're joining the church or anything like that. It's just a way to learn more about the church. And it is part of our process to become a covenant partner. And so that's something I'd love for you to investigate. And then 242 starts tonight. It's a, it's a great night. It's a great day to be serving the Lord. A lot of good stuff is happening. Now, for the last few years, we go in and out of the book of Mark. So I'll go verse by verse of the book of Mark, uh, and, and we're at chapter 10 today. We'll do some more topical series and go back to Mark again. Now today, as we go to chapter 10, you'll, you'll notice if you look in your Bibles, the first few verses are about divorce and remarriage. And I did a sermon on that uh, in late 2012 that I'm gonna try to repost on my blog this week, at least a link to hear that. And I just think that uh, I worked hard on that sermon. I think it was really a complete presentation and it would be interesting and good for you to listen to, but I don't think it's necessary for me to basically give that same sermon again. So I'll make sure you have access to it. And then we're going to go a little further and we're going to uh, start here in a minute in verse 13. Now, interestingly about that, another sermon series that I did uh, back in the summer, in the late spring and summer after Easter, I did a sermon called Jesus Values Children. And that was in June. And that sermon touched on the scripture we're gonna talk about today, uh, essentially saying that Jesus was historical change history by giving value to children when society had never valued children before. And that has um, implications that have affected culture positively to this day. Uh, that is the kind of first meaning of the scripture, uh, but we're gonna relook at this passage again, knowing we've already covered that very obvious point that Jesus loves children, uh, and that point is established, and I'm so glad that I'm part of a church who lives that value out, because you guys volunteer and give, and we resource uh, the discipleships of students, both children and teenagers, uh, we're actually having a meeting tomorrow night about how we can reach more college students. So we're at the very beginning of that. Uh, and we believe that as we disciple students, we're discipled. And so God uses that. So thanks for being that kind of church. And that is a blessing to be a part of. So Mark chapter 10, and let's start with verse 13. It says, some people were bringing little children to him, so he being Jesus, might touch them. But his disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I assure you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. 
And after taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. Thank God for his scripture. Thank God that he has preserved this story and passed it on to us for particular reasons. Now, I was associated with the church several years ago, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, that had a real heart to reach teenagers. And the conclusion in that era of church was in order to build, to reach teenagers, let's build a basketball gym, which is great for the 20 kids in the youth group who love basketball, but the rest of the kids, not so great. They have to sit on the silver bleachers and find something to do while the, the athletic kids play. But that's what churches were doing. And because this church had a heart, they built the gym. And you know, just let me say this, um, if you have a heart to build gymnasiums for youth groups, we have 17 acres here in this property. So despite my sarcasm, we'll take it, okay? Let's get the project going. So this gym was built and it was nice. In this small town, it was the best gym in the town. It, it had a beautiful wood floor, perfectly finished. I mean, you would walk into this gym and it would shine. And so the church was really, really proud of this floor, especially the decision makers who had cast a vision and raised money for it. And it, it was just something they were very proud of. But there was an issue. The issue was this. If someone wore black sold shoes, it marked up the gym. It put a scuff there. Now, this really wasn't a big deal because you could take a towel and wipe the scuff out or you could actually take your fingers. I, I did it and rub the, the black mark off. But this church was so proud of this gym floor that the policymakers uh, decided to put a rule. The rule was this, no black sole shoes on the gym floor. There were several problems with this. But one in particular was the fact that in this era, there was a guy who played basketball named Michael Jordan. And he had some shoes everyone really wanted called Air Jordans. And guess what color soles those shoes had? Black sole shoes. And so it completely deflated the enthusiasm uh, the youth group and the students had and the community had. I mean, they, they're like, what? We can't use the popular basketball shoe to play? The problem was this. This particular group of people were, and the policymakers there, were protecting the gym and loved that gym floor so much that they forgot why the gym was built in the first place. In their effort to protect the gym floor, they were keeping the gym floor from the students. This is what the disciples were doing here in this passage. My first observation is this. We can, in our effort to protect Jesus's reputation, we can miss his heart. We can totally miss God's heart thinking that we're doing something good for Jesus, thinking that we're protecting the honor of Jesus. And what we're not realizing is, man, we're forgetting his heart and what he wants to do. And so we read verse 13 again, and it says this. Some people were bringing little children to him so he might touch them. Now look at this part. But his disciples rebuked them. 
I'm imagining here the disciples wearing black t-shirts with the word security on the back. It's amazing. The most powerful weapon in the world is not an AK-47 or a machete or even an atomic bomb. You give a $7 t-shirt to a man that says security on it, that changes that man. Where's that security t-shirt? And he'll lay down his life for the event. Whatever the case is, there's a bravado that comes in them. And that's kind of what I see the disciples having this, like we're gonna protect Jesus from the children. And we talked about in June, the historical significance of that. I mean, children had zero rights, unlike today where we have a very child-centric society. When Jesus was living among us tangibly, children had no rights. There's nothing special about them. And the disciples in their, let's imagine this black security shirt, they're keeping the people Jesus wants the most. They're protecting Jesus from where his heart was. And so... He rebuked them. Guys, we have to be so careful that with our buildings and our policies and even our conversation, when we're making, we're making statements about society and culture, whether they're political or moral, we have to be careful that in defending the reputation of Jesus, we miss his heart. The people in our lives today who don't understand our sense of morality, don't understand some of our biblical mandates, don't understand maybe some of our world perspectives, are the people Jesus came to save. And in our effort to protect and defend culture, sometimes we begin to vilify and we have hate or anger or angst towards people who don't know God. If they don't know God, how are they supposed to agree with the things of God yet? So I caution you, let's be very careful with our attitude and our language towards those who are outside the kingdom of God. And Jesus can defend himself. His holiness is indefensible. His power, I mean, his power is unmatched. And Jesus, when he reveals himself to a person by grace and draws that person to him, we don't have to, we don't have to defend Jesus. Let's stand for truth, but in a loving way and not lose God's heart. And so it is that here at this church, you know, our facilities matter. I mean, you guys are great. Many of you don't know, we have volunteers who clean the church here and we need more. We have volunteers who mow the yard and they do a great job. And facilities matter. But I don't wanna be a church that has incredible facilities in a great location and everything looks great, but lose the heart of Jesus. I wanna honor God with excellence. I wanna honor God to, to paint the walls that need to be painted and clean the carpet where they're stained to do all the things that bring honor to his name, but simultaneously keep a heart for the reason the building exists. I mean, we are not building a memorial here. We're here as a hospital, as a triage, as a place where people who are sick 
and needing a doctor named Jesus. Jesus said, I did not come for the healthy, I came for the sick. And can I just be honest with you? And I don't want to be disrespectful to anyone who may be battling a physical condition, but I'm talking metaphorically here. Often when people are sick, they don't smell the best. When we visit people who are sick in the hospital, they're not the most presentable. They don't have their best outfit on. They have one of those goofy hospital gowns. They they typically, guys don't get rid of bedhead in the hospital or girls don't put makeup on. And spiritually, the people God wants us to reach might not look the way we're used to or smell the way that's appealing to us or might not even be in the social status we prefer. But I don't want to organize a great church and miss the heart of God, do you? Where does that heart come from? I'll tell you where the heart comes from. It comes from prayer. When we begin to pray for those who don't know God, it changes our hearts. Pray for those who don't know God. And, and guys, here in the middle of an area that has high religious observance compared to other parts of the country, it is, it is alarming how dark our city is. It's alarming, and this is true statistically all across the nation, but it, it is true in our county too, how teenagers, junior high students and high school students and college-age students and millennials who are 35 and under aren't going to church. They're not going to church and they're not interested in it. And, and we're coming, guys. We, we have a crisis ahead of us for our nation. And here's what I want you to hear. If you love this nation, if you love America, then build the church. That's the best way you can be a patriot. Because our hope is not in a political party. Our hope is not in a president or a senator or a governor or a politician. Our hope is not in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights or the Declaration of Independence. I thank God for those things. Our hope is in a revival. Our hope is in the renewing of the things of God. Our hope is in the name of Jesus. And when you love your country, and if you want to see this country remain great, then build his kingdom, build his church, build the gathering of his saints and see what God can do when people gather in his name. That's what he's called us to do. And so it is, no security guards. I'm talking metaphorically again. Jesus loves the sick and he loves those who are hurting and he wants us to do the same and we can only do so through prayer. One of the things I do as a father, I've got some dad stories today. So thank you to my three children for being great sermon illustrations. God bless you all three. One of the things that you have to do to be a cool dad or a good dad, I guess you don't have to, but I've chosen to, is to go to amusement parks. That seemed like a fun part of fatherhood 15 years ago. Now, not so much. I'm not fitting in the rides as good as I used to. And the after effects are horrible because I'm dizzy after every ride. It's like, find me a bench, boys, for the next one. I was at Six Flags Over Texas back in May and we were, at, we were doing all the stuff families do. We were at one particular ride in which there were uh, a large group would ride this ride. 
And you couldn't see exactly how many people would be on the next ride. So there was an employee that he could not have been a day over 16 because you have to be 16 to work there, but he didn't look 16. And he was in charge of that ride. And this guy was earning his minimum wage with all his heart <laughs> because he would call the group in be like, and wave in the amount of people who could ride and ride as the, ne- the last person was about to cross over the threshold, he put his hand and stop him. I started watching this for a while and there was no rhyme or rhythm. I couldn't figure out how many were supposed to go on the ride. I just knew this is this guy was enjoying his job. Calling him in, calling him in, calling him in, stop. It didn't matter who you were, what you had accomplished in your life, what your education level was, how much money you had in your pocket. When you were on that ride, you were under this man's, young man's authority. And he was determining who's coming in and who's staying out. You know, that's a powerful feeling. And in life, we as Christians are tempted with that sometimes. We love, we love to be in the position of determining who's in and then saying who's out. And this is where the disciples were. The disciples were saying, hey, don't let the kids get near Jesus, they're out. The kids can't come in. And Jesus corrected that. Here's my second observation. Jesus decides who's in the kingdom. Jesus determines who belongs in the kingdom of God. If it was up for the disciples, to the disciples, the kids wouldn't get in. They would stop them. You know, I've been in the ministry now, vocational ministry, for 19 years. And early on in my ministry, I got a lot of questions uh, from people wanting me to be the gatekeeper and to tell them who gets in. And, And I felt a lot of pressure at that time a lot of pressure to make determinations when I would receive questions like this. Does this certain type of people get into heaven? Well, I felt pressured to give that answer. What about someone who's never heard the name of Jesus in another country? Do they get into heaven? I felt pressure to give an answer. But the longer I've walked with God, the more I studied in his word. I realized that's not really my job. And I retired a few years ago from being the one who makes the determination who's getting in and who's getting out. There's a couple of things that I know, so don't just use this as a soundbite. Listen to me here. A couple of things I do know. Is I know my heart. And I know my motives that are mixed. And I know my erroneous thoughts in my head. And I know who I really am. And I know that when I stand before Jesus, that my devotional life And the way I lead my family and the way I pastor this church and the way I preach God's word and the way I interact with those who are in my life will not qualify me to get in. I know that because I know my heart and my mind and my motives and they do not measure up to the righteousness of God. I know one man and that's me. And I know that I'm not getting in. But I also know another man, another man who is simultaneously God, another man who is without error, who is without hidden motive, another man who has been deemed by God as completely worthy. 
He is the lamb who has been slain before the foundations of the world. Jesus Christ, the only one who was qualified, the only one who is faultless, the only one who is sinless, the only one who is worthy. And because I know him, I know that I'm getting in. That is all that I'm relying on. So it is this. We as believers should walk in humility. And we don't have to answer every question. We just have to point to who the true answer is. And that is Jesus. Because his blood and his sacrifice and his death and his resurrection are the only things that qualify us for heaven. You can't get in through observing Islam. You can't get in through adherence to Confucianism. I can't pronounce it. I'll use a different. That's usually for 9 a.m. service. Sorry. <laughs> you can't get in through Hinduism. You can't get in through humanism and relying on yourself. There's only one way. It's through the cross. And so when we come and we have this symbolic bread and this symbolic cup, that we offer to you every Sunday. We do it to center your faith on Jesus, the only hope, on Jesus, the only way, on Jesus, the only truth. And we exalt him when we gather together and we exalt who he is and we exalt his name and we exalt his purpose and we realize that he is God and he is above us and he is the only one who is qualified to say who's in the kingdom and who is not because he is Lord and King and we worship him because of that. Here's the last thing I want to say today from this passage. As we find out that the kingdom of God comes through innocence. The kingdom of God is experienced in innocence. Verse 15, I assure you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And after talking, taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. One of the things I do with, with my children a lot is to take them to sporting events. Now, not so much the girl, she's an actress and singer and all that, uh, but the two boys, I take them. And so what happens uh, frequently, it's a blessing, is people know that if they can't go to the game, the Allisons are in. And so we, we get offered free tickets to games. And often that means we get offered two tickets and there's three of us, me and my two boys. So this happened to me yesterday. I got offered tickets to uh, the Vanderbilt game at LP Field. And I had two tickets and I needed a third. And so I parked my car and I began to walk and I began to have to do the walk of shame, walking with one finger in the air. <laughs> I love my sons because it is an act of humiliation. The one finger in the air says, I need one ticket. Now, early on, we had to do some training to the boys on how this works because they would ask me the question, you know, dad, how, how much are you willing to pay? I'd say, you know, 25 a ticket. So my little one, he's in children's church right now in Lincoln. He's kind of an excitable, emotional guy. And so when negotiations started, and even though I'm willing to pay 25, I don't want to if I don't have to, right? Okay, and negotiations start and the 
businessman, because that's what they all are, right? Dignified businessman, yeah, right. Who are selling me the ticket, says the word 25. You're supposed to be playing it cool. Well, Lincoln does this. Woo, yeah, yeah. He's jumping up and down, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm dead, you know, I'm dead there. I know this guy has me, you know. I'm sitting there saying, shut up, Lincoln, shut up, you know. And, and, and Luke's over there like punching him in the kidneys. So we've done some training. So now, like, like yesterday was an example of this. I told him, I said, hey, you know, Lincoln, keep your mouth shut until we get tickets, you know. And Luke said the same thing, keep your mouth shut. So he's trained now. So walk of shame, I'm on the pedestrian bridge. You know, the first offer is never gonna be good. And so, uh, you know, I had the finger up. The, the, the gentleman asked me, you need one ticket? I said, how much? He says, $75. I shun him, don't even acknowledge his existence. Who's gonna pay $75 to see Vanderbilt play? Come on. <laughs> That's not even worthy of my acknowledgement, man. I just keep walking. We get to the top of the bridge, it's $50. Get to the bottom of the bridge and there's a guy and, and we're having a little negotiation and it's just getting, it's a sleazy business now. I mean, you know, it's, he, he says, give two for 40. I said, 20, I'm holding a $20 bill in my hand. I'm like, no way. And he's like, no way. And, and then I said, hey man, hey buddy, listen, you're gonna be standing out here. You can take this $20 bill and get you a hamburger and Coke. If not, you're gonna stand with that ticket. And I'm just like, wow, this powerful man of God negotiating. <laughs> So we're sitting there with a finger in the air. Now, around you guys, and I hope this is the case, I feel your love and I seem like an approachable, uh, loving guy. And I forget that outside of this context that I'm just this big guy with a beard. You know, people don't have this respect. And so I'm looking kind of sketchy because I could, take, I could take the ticket for $20 and sell it for 40, right? And, and that's what people are trying to avoid. So years ago, we learned this. Lincoln... It's so cute. And, and I said, if he's wearing Vanderbilt stuff, and I said, Lincoln, you put your finger in the air. So you got me looking all sketchy and looking, <laughs> looking like I'm gonna take advantage of you. And then he got this face up here. Look at this kid. On the left, all right? With his Vanderbilt shirt and a ticket and one finger in the air. And what's happened multiple times, and this is actually a picture from yesterday, and what's happened multiple times, Lincoln's sitting there with his, with his finger in the air, hoping someone, hoping I get a good deal, and someone who's usually the age of a grandfather, as long as we have Vanderbilt stuff on, will come by and say, you guys need a ticket? And they'll hand it to Lincoln and say, here's a free ticket. <laughs> they did it because the kid is so cute. The other kid's cute too, but he's sitting on the front row and he doesn't want me to call him cute. But the, the, the one on the left there, he's 10 years old. And here's the deal. Little Lincoln's not gonna resell the ticket. He's not going to go into a negotiation. He's not gonna harass the guy for not giving him a good enough price. All he wants is to get in the game. You see, this is a story for us of how Jesus wants us to approach the kingdom of God, that we would stand before God with one finger in the air and say, God, just get me in. I, I don't have to make a deal with you, God. I don't have to negotiate. I'm not gonna take your free gift and resell it. I'm not gonna take and make religion something for financial gain. I'm not gonna take religion and use it to manipulate. God, I just wanna be in the game. And Father does that. He gives us this thing called amazing grace. Beth, I want to invite you to join me up here. You know, I was a Pharisee once and probably still am a lot. I've been on this journey to move from being a Pharisee who is relying on myself and my good works 
to being someone who is relying on Jesus and all that he's done for me. And there's many things that have contributed towards this journey. Many, many things, but one of many things is um, spiritual books that have helped me. And there was a book that I read probably 20 years ago by a guy named Brendan Manning called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And I, I wanna read this quote. Manning was talking about how Pharisees don't understand the kingdom of God. And if you could put that quote, it was a little earlier in the script. It says this, the gospel declares that no matter how dutiful or prayerful we are, we can't save ourselves. What Jesus did was sufficient to the extent that we are self-made saints like the Pharisees. We let the prostitutes and the publicans who are tax collectors go first into the kingdom. Now look at this description. They enter before us because they know they cannot save themselves. They cannot make themselves presentable or lovable. They risked everything on Jesus and knowing they didn't have it all together, were not too proud to accept the handout of amazing grace. And that's the type of people I want us to be. That's the type of people God wants us to be. Humble, humble. Say, Lord, we wanna receive your amazing grace. Not by works, Ephesians 2, 9 says, so that any man may boast. We are God's workmanship. It's by faith you've been saved. And what does that cause us to do? It causes us to wanna worship him. It causes us not to wanna live this life of obligation where we have to go to church and we have to sing and we have to give and we, we have to volunteer because pastors are always trying to get us to do something. You know, but we need to get you get on our program. Come on. It's not that. It's when you understand that grace has called us. Grace has saved us. Grace has chosen us. Then we respond to God with our worship and our morality and our obedience. And it, it is amazing, isn't it? I've been walking with the Lord for a long time and I still am learning more about his grace what it means to me. Would you stand with me? The Spirit moved very strongly in our first service and He may do it the same way again. He may not, I don't know. But He moved very specifically in the area of salvation this morning. And I think He may be doing the same thing again. It's important that you know this is that it's the Holy Spirit who draws you into Jesus. It's the mystery of the Trinity that you don't really choose God, God chooses you. It's his grace that brings you in. And so when you respond, whether it's walking down the aisle of an evangelistic crusade or responding to multimedia, Christian multimedia, or raising your hand at a VBS, and you do something, you acknowledge Jesus and who he is. And I understand that there's an activity involved in your part, but it's really, not your choice. It's grace that has drawn you and given you the ability to say yes to God. And I just believe that God could be working today in the area of salvation for some of us here because God does not want you anymore to be living in the bondage of trying to earn your salvation. Instead, he wants you to receive the free gift of God. And you may be thinking Christianity's not for me. I'm not into religion. 
I'm not able to adhere in my own strength to all the requirements. You may think I just not click, I don't click with the Christian culture. I've never been a church type. If you're having those type of thoughts, can I tell you you're the exact kind of person Jesus is drawing to himself? Because Jesus didn't come for those who had it together. Jesus didn't come to those who were relying in their tradition, are relying in their denomination, are relying in their, on their grandparents' faith or their parents' faith are their cultural faith. Jesus came to draw those who were humble, who didn't feel qualified, who didn't feel worthy, who had made mistakes, who had regrets. Jesus came to call those who are ashamed of their past behavior and, 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 and maybe insecure about their ability to follow him. And he says, come on, you're the type of person I'm reaching out to. Jesus came for the sick. Jesus came for those who had mixed motives and hidden sin. He came for me. I had those things, but his blood washed me clean. Would you close your eyes with me? Can I just give you, I'm gonna give you an invitation today. Give you a chance to say yes to Jesus, yes to faith, yes to grace, yes to the assurance of your salvation. And you're saying no to guilt, that doesn't come from the Lord, and you're saying no to a defeatist attitude, and you're saying no to rebellion to the things of God, you're saying no to living for yourselves, yourself by yourself, and you're saying yes to the Spirit's leadership in your life, and you're saying, this is my day, salvation's come right now to me today. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. I'm not having you raise your hand for Aaron's validation because I don't need you to validate you enjoyed the sermon through this particular exercise. You can encourage me later if you want to, but for this particular exercise, I don't need your validation. This is a sign unto God and I am your witness that the Spirit's moved on you today and that you're responding to God. So if you're in the far right section of where you're sitting, not not my right, but your right, in that far right section, and you say, the Spirit is moving me today to receive this salvation, to make a change today. Raise your hand right now. Anyone in that far right? Thank you, you can put your hand down, ma'am. Thank you, I see that. Anyone else in this far right section? Anyone else in this far right section? Say, the Spirit's moving me today to make a choice, make a decision. What about the middle section? If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Anyone else that thank you, sir? Thank you, ma'am. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. You can put your hand down. Thank you, ma'am. In the back, you can put your hand down. Anyone else? It's just a sign. Thank you here in the front. You can put your hand down. Anyone else in this middle section? The Spirit's moving you. It's, it's grace is moving you. Grace is moving you right now. Holy Spirit's moving you right now. Holy Spirit power is moving you right now. And this is your time. Thank you, sir. I'm glad I waited a second. And the Lord's waiting for you forever so that you're not relying on me. Thank you, sir. There's another one. Thank you. Again, the, the, the Spirit's always waiting for you. Anyone else in the middle section? The far left section. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Anyone else? You put your hand down. Anyone else in this far left section? Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else in this far left section? Anyone else? The Spirit's just moving you today. And this is a chance. Thank you, sir. You put your hand down. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you, sir. You can put your hand down. I see that. Anyone else? You know, I may not have seen every hand, but God sees every hand. Here's the great thing about God. He doesn't just see your hand. He knows the number of hairs that are on the head of the hand that's been raised. Anyone else in the far left section? 
this is what we're gonna do. Listen, I know Jesus is working today. And, and because I know some of you, I know some of you have responded this way before. And so what I believe the Lord is doing, he is reminding you, refreshing, saying, you are mine. You don't belong to the world. You don't belong to Satan. You don't belong to your habits. You don't belong to your bondage. You are mine, says the Lord. You've been adopted. You've been chosen. You've been called in. You've been grafted in. You are mine. The Lord is saying that to us as a body of believers. We were once not a people, but now we are a people. We're God's people. We have his mark. We have his name. We have his adoption. We have the Holy Spirit that has sealed the word within us. Guys, that's who we are. So I want to ask that every person who's willing, uh, knowing that there may have been a dozen hands raised, and I'll tell you now, what's it going to tell you that? Over a dozen hands came up in the first service too. So the Spirit has been moving this specific way today. He has been, he's been calling people to salvation this morning and he's been reassuring the salvation others have doubted today. That's how the Holy Spirit's been moving today. And we're going to now seal this because the scripture says that if, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And so let's make that confession again with everyone who's willing to repeat these words. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. You were the substitute for my sin. I received your grace. I received your forgiveness. Wash me clean. And I will follow your word and your Holy Spirit the rest of my life. Let me pray for you. God, you've heard the prayers of your people today. Affirm Satan. Satan, the accuser of the brethren, does not have the last word with you. Our God has called you a victor in Christ. Our God has revealed his salvation to you. Can we sing this chorus together? Let's all sing this from our hearts. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. 